recommend a book by a black British writers for readers who want to read more books. The Terrible by Irsa Daly Ward. And the song? I think Flowers by Little Sims. Feel the pain of his troubled history. They'll wipe his memories and tell him his past is a mystery. What is life without victory? Opinion, no liberty. Enlighten me. How to stay sane in a world so mental, world sick enough. Welcome to Books and Rhymes, the podcast that celebrates the joy of reading by flipping the script with a musical twist on your favourite books. I invite guests to pair books with songs or albums that spark the same emotional connection. I'm your host, Sarah, a West African in the diaspora with a deep abiding love for the written word. Join me as I take you on a musical journey through the works of new and classic authors. Today's episode is all about romance. Ooh. Our guest, Sarita Domingo, is an accomplished writer and literary editor whose third novel, If I Don't Have You, a love story between a black British expat and an Afro-Brazilian filmmaker is published by Jacaranda Books as part of their 20 in 2020 project. We use the music of Eska, Prince, Erika Badu, Nene Cherry and more to discuss Sarita Domingo's non-traditional route to publishing, crafting and writing romance stories as an act of resistance and writing ambitious black women with care. Sarita Domingo also discussed her advice for writers who are weighing the options of either being published by a small indie press or an establishment publishing house. For more information on Sarita Domingo's work, visit saritadomingo.com. That is Sarita, S-A-R-E-E-T-A, Domingo, D-O-M-I-N-G-O.com. Follow the conversation by posting your thoughts on this episode and previous episodes of Books and Rhymes podcast by tagging us at Books and Rhymes on Twitter and Instagram. Also, I always ask this of you every episode because it is important. Share the link with your friends whom you believe will find these conversations as interesting, stimulating and exciting as you. Enjoy the episode. So your book, If I Don't Have You, mm-hmm. was recently published by Jacaranda Press. Ooh. It was, yes an indie press in the UK who in 2019 announced an exciting project. The intention was to publish 20 books by 20 black British authors in 2020. 2020, yes. One of those writers. It's you, Sarita Domingo. Yes, Ah! indeed. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So first off, how does it feel to be part of the Jacaranda 20 in 20 project? It feels incredible. It's such an ambitious um, sort of project that they're undertaking. Obviously, they're an indie. 20 books in a year. That's a lot for for a small team. It's an honour to be among their number. It just feels good. It feels liberating. I've had books published by mainstream traditional publishers. In fact, all of them have been through Hachette's. My debut novel was published by Piakas Books, which is um, an imprint of Hachette. And then I've had two um, young adult books as well. It's just a different experience, particularly because Jacaranda, you know, they're women-owned, they're independent, they're Black British. There's like a deeper understanding, I think. Yeah, it's just a great experience and I'm really pleased to be, be a part of it. So I asked you to pick a song that captures your experience mm. with Jacaranda Press. And which song did you pick? I picked, this is hard, but I picked, um, <laughs> I picked a song called Gatekeeper by Esker. Gatekeeper Where there's no wise leader And 
brighter, lighter But you keep letting it in Let it in, let it, let it in, let it, let it in She's a singer, she's a black British singer. She's quite hard to categorize. She sort of has done quite a lot in like dance music spaces, but then she's got a folk side to her. So she's quite hard to categorize. And I think that her essence as an artist is sort of similar to the, um, the breadth of what Jacaranda are doing with the, the variety of different stories they're doing with uh, the 20 and 2020. And the song itself, Gatekeeper, is kind of, um, lyrically it's talking about freedom, it's talking about not being hemmed in by expectations. Whereas, I, you know, people use that term gatekeeper a lot in when they're talking about traditional publishing and how, you know, we're trying to get past the gatekeepers. There's something about the lyrics like at the end. Like a city without a wall, you are open to anything. Lose a government of yourself, cause you're so open to anything. Well, don't go listening to the voice of a stranger. Don't so at the end of the song, she's saying, like a city without a wall, you're open to anything. Lose the government of your soul because you're so open to anything. Don't go listening to the voice of a stranger. Don't you go listening to that voice. With Jacaranda, there's that familiarity. They're not strangers. You know, it's kind of a different experience being published by them than any more traditional publishing. So that's why I've chosen that song. It just sort of spoke to some of the similar ideas and themes. I'm pleased you mentioned your previous publishing experience by an establishment publishing house. So we know that Hachette is one of the top four publishing houses in the world. I think their business model is very clever because they publish under many imprints. So you don't know that Hachette is like the father. Exactly. Yes, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And so you buy books from these imprints thinking they're indie press, but they've got like a whole mm -hmm. machine. Machine. Yeah. <laughs> behind them. <laughs> Could you Talk a bit about your experience within the publishing industry, having been published by a, a traditional publishing house with the resources to push your book forward versus being published by an independent black woman owned publishing house in the UK and you being a black woman. So could you speak about that experience and how it feeds into these conversation about publishing, conversation about um, diaspora and continental writers? The key difference is the level of attention that you might get. It's not just a question of um, whether you're a writer from the African diaspora or whatever. In, in traditional publishing, so much of it is about how much they're willing to invest in you. I was very pleased to be on that journey, on that part, to have my debut published at all. But the level of attention that I received in terms of promotion marketing um in terms of even drawing attention to the fact that i was writing so my first novel was a romantic novel as well there aren't many black british 
people writing romance fiction. That would seem like perhaps uh, an angle to take to try and draw the book towards a black British audience or an African diasporic audience that might think, wow, I'd love to read a romantic story that features people who look like me. None of that was really the case. And a lot of the promotion of the book sort of fell on my own shoulders. And now that can be the case regardless of where you're published. But I think the difference in experience working with Jacaranda is that they have a better sense of what your audience, who, who your audience might be. They're more targeted or geared towards um, focusing on us, on um, people from the diaspora and getting our books into those hands or at least having a bit more of a sense that that's the market that that there is a market um in the first place for books written by us for us um and then you know obviously thinking about spreading it out to the wider um readership that's definitely been a difference and also not feeling the same level of restriction about what we're supposed to write but it's been interesting to see how a book was marketed as just romance and without any sort of nuance to it whereas with this current book if I don't have you being published by Jacaranda Books I feel like there's a bit more of a conversation about you know what it means to write romantic fiction that features black characters the cover is very different all those kinds of things are just a slightly different experience. And also I do have to say that Jacaranda really do punch above their weight in terms of the reach that they do have. I mean, they they um, have partnered with Audible, they've partnered with Foils. So those were genuine factors when I was thinking like, where am I gonna position my book? Because you can be um, at a traditional publisher and be a tiny, tiny minnow of a fish in a massive sea, not even a pond. And that will mean that your book may not do anything even though you're um, in a big traditional publishing house so for me that definitely was a factor um, wanting to feel understood feel seen and feel like um, I'm working with people who understand where I'm coming from what I'm trying to create and can reach people who also understand that um, but for aspiring writers I do think it's something that you need to weigh up it could well be that um, if you're a, making a debut and you've made you're making a massive splash and there's an auction for your book, that then it might be worth going with the traditional publisher who does have that massive reach. Um, and if they're willing to invest in you, can you can reach a massive audience that way. But that's rare. You'll still come up against those inevitable issues where people won't understand you, or even you know down to the way your book is edited, where you know, I had experiences of people trying to edit out words or phrases and you're just like, no, this is meant to be there. So it, it's, it's kind of a balancing act. But I think that any um, black writer or writer of colour who is working in the Western world will understand that balancing act and will probably have a sense of what they'll have to weigh in order to do to make those decisions. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So let's talk about your book, If I Don't Have You. Mm. So- <laughs> <laughs> I like the flair you're giving that. <laughs> It's a multinational book. It's a book that <laughs> just is, goes across yeah. many nation, multi-ethnicity. So I had to do some juice if I don't have you. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked you to pick a song that captures the tone and feel of if I don't have you. And you picked. So I kind of went, I went with the ballad of Dorothy Parker by Prince. It has a narrative of its own, but the sort of feeling of it that's kind of nighttime, that a lot of um, the inspiration for If I Don't Have You is throwing caution to the wind. It's quite a sexy song, you know, and my book's kind of sexy. They take a bath in the song. They take a bath in my book, that kind of thing. The sort of production of um, Ballad of Dorothy Parker is kind of woozy and dreamlike. Um, which is sort of part of the feeling of my book as well. So, yeah. So one of the lyrics of the ballad of um, Dorothy Parker says, um, it says, oh, I said, cool, but I'm leaving my pants on, she says, because I'm kind of going, (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Because I'm kind of going with someone, she said, sounds like a real man to me. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) I love this song. Yeah, I mean, nobody's cheating on anybody in my book. But yeah, there's just that kind of feeling that that, that that's like a sacred space that you're kind of having an experience with somebody that's just between you and them in that moment. And that's kind of, so my book's divided into three parts, but the first part of the book is very much that kind of feeling that like, let's just do this and worry about the consequences tomorrow kind of thing. Digging deeper into if I don't have you. Um, <laughs> please ask me why I'm doing that. <laughs> you should have done the audio. <laughs> no, they, they're going to get fed up with me going if I don't have you. Yeah. Like, Where is this coming from? There is no Jacques yeah. in the book. Why are you speaking like a Jacques? You know? <laughs> I asked you for a book or story that inspired your book, If I Don't Have You, and pair it with a song? I was very influenced by um, a poem, but it is actually in a book called 
Prefrock and Other Observations by T.S. Eliot. So obviously, The Ballad of J. Alfred Prefrock by T.S. Eliot. That's a poem that really inspired me for the book. But it's since come to light. I've recently found out that T.S. Eliot was a horrible bigot and racist and anti-Semite. So, ooh, sorry, but... It's one of those things where you're trying to divide the person from the art. The poem itself, the, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, like he repeats this phrase, do I dare? So the kind of idea of not worrying about the consequences of something or not wanting to have regrets is a big part of, of um, If I Don't Have You. And so, the, so I do quote um, Prufrock at the beginning of my book and Kayla's um, company, Kayla, the, the female character in the book, her company is sort of named after um, a line in, in the poem. So obviously it's quite a big influence. And also, I really love films like Before Sunrise and Before Sunset, where it's um, two characters just falling in love over the course of one night. Pairing that with a, a song, I kind of went with, uh, Love Has Fallen On Me by Shaka Khan. Which isn't so much about throwing caution to the wind, but it is about that feeling of being blindsided by love. So um, like it's quite euphoric, but it's unexpected. And the song really reflects that. And there are sort of musically, there are moments of hesitation in the song um, where it kind of goes quiet and then it goes um, sort of bombastic again. So I think that that really reflected the feeling of the book as well. Like there are quite a few peaks and troughs as they're trying to navigate their romantic sort of uh, journey yeah I want mm. to know why you chose to specialize in romance well you know I mean specialize is like yeah, fam. this yeah. is not an academic discipline so <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about you know <laughs> do you know what I mean because you have a forthcoming book you have a book that's coming out in 2021 published by trapeze book yes it's called who's loving you you see I've got you at the end of like way too many of my books because my first book's called The Nearness of You and they're all named after songs actually um, because If I Don't Have You is a song by Gregory Isaacs so that would be the obvious choice of song <laughs> to go with I don't know why I didn't say that yeah so The Nearness of You my first novel is a jazz standard and then um, yeah If I Don't Have You is a Gregory Isaacs song which, to be fair, I mean, that very much does encapsulate the feel of the book as well. And I actually recorded a cover of it for promo. It's out there. <laughs> you can find it.
Um, I genuinely did. Um, my husband is a music producer, so he produced a new version of it. And it's on Spotify and wherever you get your streaming songs, you can find it. It's going to be on your playlist, by the way. So Okay. <laughs> um, so Who's Loving You? Obviously, it was a Jackson, Jackson 5 song. That's coming out next year. And it's an anthology of romantic stories written by British women of colour, including myself. And I'm editing the book. So it does have a story by me. And yes, it is, again, romance. It kind of has been an accident that I got drawn into this whole genre of romance. I mean, I do love love stories, who doesn't? But I think it was kind of the structure of romance I really like. You kind of know, you know where you're going to at least an extent. With a romantic story, you know kind of that two people are going to meet, they're going to fall in love. You have a structure and maybe that was part of what drew me to it. I was like, okay, at least there are some parameters to it. But I also wanted to subvert romantic expectations a bit. If I don't have you, it's lighter in feel. I don't get to see Black British women in romantic stories, so that was definitely a part of it. And similarly with the anthology that's coming up, seeing a variety of different characters in romantic situations. I wanted to sort of bring that out, out into the world. But yeah, I think it's just been slightly accidental, the, the, the sort of um, specialisation in <laughs> romance. I might move away from it a bit. But yeah, even my young adult books, they're romantic as well. Why would you want to move away from it? I think romance is important, especially when there are conversations about the singular narrative. I have a bugbear with the British publishing landscape when it comes to black British <laughs> narratives you know yeah mm-hmm. by that I'm in the establishment you know yeah I'm non-fiction it's just one story one book you're getting at the moment I'm black yes. white people hate me I'm yes. black oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah so I think that it is important to read stories about black people being in love I completely agree. You know, in America, yeah. there's this new thing about black love. You know, Remy and Papoose mm, have made a mm-hmm. whole... <laughs> they branded the whole yeah. black love, Yeah, right? And it's true. I mean, it, it is important. And I think it's important to, as you say, just have stories that aren't specifically focused on race and they're not specifically focused on trauma and black trauma. Um, and you do get that with romance and it is kind of a shame that there aren't so many of us out there writing in the genre for me I I do feel like I have other stories I want to tell so I think that's part of why I I'm thinking about moving I mean to be honest I probably will feature a romantic (laughs) through line with my stuff I do I can't help myself but I do feel like I'd like to a little bit yeah Mm. I'm interested in the mind of the writer, you know, the space from which you create, how you bring your imagination to text, how you sort of convert your imagination to the written word, and also situating yourself emotionally, psychologically, intellectually in the space that you're writing from. I mean, there are some very steamy scenes in... Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <if I> don't... <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> Not situating myself <laughs> in any particular way. While writing that. <laughs> no, I wasn't asking for strategies, no. <laughs> what is your state of mind when you're writing romance fiction? I don't know. I tend to kind of start from scenes. So like the the opening of If I Don't Have You is 
when the two characters actually meet and they kind of have a chemistry. And that was really the kind of genesis for it. I just wanted to have two people. So um, Kayla is sent to interview Ren, who's a filmmaker. Um, she's kind of a journalist and artist. And she's kind of sent to interview him as a last minute thing. She, she hadn't really intended to go. And, and he's kind of at the end of his day of a long day. He's got his own emotional, emotional turmoil going on. So I kind of just thought about the scene of these two people meeting and what it would be like for them to have a sort of spark of chemistry between them and then built from there. That seems to be the way I write. I kind of start from a scene in my head. So my first novel didn't actually start with a romantic situation at all. It starts with um, the character Taylor finds a dead body um, on the by the side of the Thames. So, but I had that, that scene in my head and then I thought about what's going on in her life and it turns out she's in love with somebody she can't have and all those things are tying in together. So I think that's how I situate myself is I just picture the scene and kind of write it down and then ideas flow from that scene. I do do a bit of planning. So for If I Don't Have You, I knew I wanted it to be in three sections. And at first I had, thought that the middle section when um, Ren and Kayla, are, they, they kind of have to part ways. She goes back to London and he's filming in New Zealand. And initially I had written that as them writing letters and emails back and forth. And that's all you had um, textually, you know, there wasn't any sort of prose. Then I went back and re rewrote that with actual scenes of them in, in interacting, you know, traditional prose writing. I'm not quite sure. It kind of just builds. It builds and builds and builds. I, I start from one scene and then um, kind of go from there once I have the general idea of the story. When reading If I Don't Have You, and by the way, I want to thank you for writing the book and I want to thank you for writing yeah. romance. Thank you. <laughs> because I usually, you know how I know that a lot of people, you have your preferred genre that you read. So I'm in literary fiction. That's my spot. But, and I say this a lot, literary fiction is because it is, um, yeah, it is literary fiction, isn't it? So it's like a literary fiction. I've, I've been yearning for something whimsical. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So yeah. which I'm saying thank you and thank you to <laughs> Jeffaranda2020 for bringing yeah. If I Don't Have You to Life because <laughs> I can just read a book that is just nice to follow two characters. It's like, oh, I like you. Oh, I don't like you. Exactly. I like you again. <laughs> oh, fam, why don't you like me? I... <laughs> I'm that being dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is the good thing about romance is that it, it allows you to kind of just fall into the story without feeling like you might get sort of... Um, struck over the head by something yeah exactly <laughs> but the thing about if i don't have you is that it feels quite voyeuristic you know you're um because you're vested in these two people's relationship and you're consuming their mess by proxy mm -hmm. <laughs> you're, you're, you're you're sort of you're you're with them in their intimate scenes and you're sort of like mm -hmm. ah and like the way the emotion shifts you know the way um mm -hmm. kayla and ren's relationship mm -hmm. shifts the feelings for each other shift your feeling as a reader also shifts Mm -hmm. and your allegiance to the characters also shift as well because yeah. you're like oh Kayla man why are you doing this <laughs> Ren man uh, just tell her how you feel uh. <laughs> 
you know, but another underlying thing with if I don't have you is in as much as on the surface level, it's a romance story, it's a romance story. There is a depth to it. So the reader is is reading from Kayla's point of view. Yeah. And yeah. so when Kayla sort of mentions offhandly that, oh, yes, I finished university. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. going into the next phase of my life. Mm-hmm. Mom is trying to line people up for me. Her friend, yeah. um, Shayla, is lining up people for her. And all these people. And also she's quite cynical as well. So you, you see her yes. cynicism in yes. all of these engagements. And then you have Ren. Something is going on there, which I'm not mm-hmm. going to say so as not mm-hmm. to um, read it for yourself <laughs> because it's a good book. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm really glad that, um, that you're saying that because that, that is important to me to kind of um, have a, a deeper sense of the characters and of the situations that they're facing. So yeah, with Kayla's character, she, I, I don't really read that many characters, black women who are ambitious and she's, she's an artist, but she's also an ambitious woman. In, in her head, she thinks that, um, romance may not even be for her um little does she know but (laughs) that she has to kind of put all of those expectations from her mom from her friends to one side and that she has the singular focus on what I want to achieve as an artist even when she's given those opportunities with Ren to actually find a a partner romantic situation she's almost willing to jeopardize that because of this singular focus on achieving her goal which is something that (laughs) I can kind of relate to you know as a writer or any kind of artist I think that if you're really serious about it you want to really want to achieve those goals so um, that was something that was important to me to include with her and that Ren is also an artist obviously he's a filmmaker but he's much further ahead in his career. He's really successful, but is some kind of racked with doubt in a way that Kayla isn't. So I kind of wanted to, cause usually it's kind of the male character that's the more confident. Um, so yeah, I just, I wanted to play around with some of those themes um, and I'm glad they come through a bit in, in the story as well. Mm. I asked you to pick a book that inspired you to start writing and pair it with a song that sparks the same emotional connection. Well, yes. So for now, you're writing romance. You're focusing on romance and romance characters. You're sort of writing the everyday life in an accessible way for the reader. And you're providing much needed, much needed escapism for the reader. You know, but you've also talked talked about the where you intentionally write your story, your mapping processes out. And I'm thinking that it does take a while to get there. So the point of the question I'm asking is your writing journey, um, how your writing journey started, how it has evolved over time to where you are now. With that in mind, I asked you to pick a book or rather to tell us the book that inspired you to start writing and pair it with a song that sparks the same emotional connection. So this was, well, it's interesting because the first book I read that made me think it was possible to be a writer was when I was very young. I mean, I must have been maybe 10 or 11. And it was a book called The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton, which was a book completely outside of anything I'd ever experienced. It's about um, sort of 
1950s gangs so there's a group of boys who are greasers who are like in a sort of gang warfare with the socias who are like the posh people in town I know she wrote it when she was 16 and I read it and thought wow I've never read anything like this and she was only a few years older than me when she wrote it but I didn't actually write anything at that stage so the book that really truly inspired me to write to actually put fingers to keyboard and write was Beloved by Toni Morrison which is my favorite book of all time um, and I mean I can still remember where I was when I first finished reading but I was sitting on the end of my bed it was at university and I immediately started reading it again. I was so blown away. I literally turned back to the beginning and, and read it again. Toni Morrison, I mean, she's a goddess in mine. <laughs> I, yeah. I prefix her name with goddess Toni Morrison. Exactly. Completely. But Beloved, in particular, the feel of it felt, it felt like it had been written for me to see, to really understand that this is possible that fiction writing on this level exists and that it was done by a black woman and I was reading it for university and so we had we had to do like an essay or whatever about uh, Beloved but we had the option to do a creative response so I wrote a story inspired sort of not inspired by it because it was a modern day setting but it had a lot of parallels and inspiration from Beloved and I got like a really good mark. <laughs> I can't remember. I got like a first print. So I, I was like, oh, look at that. I can kind of write. I, w I was gent literally inspired by the book to write sort of the first thing that I wrote that was critically assessed, as it were. I mean, I had always been somebody who thought maybe I could write, but that that was kind of the... Thing that galvanized me to take it more seriously yeah. and then um, in terms of my actual writing journey the first thing I had published um, I work in publishing and my first job was at a company who won the publishing they like were able to publish books for Agent Provocateur the underwear brand oh la la yes <laughs> so they were doing collections of erotic fiction they were looking for writers and so even though I worked in sales and marketing at the time, I was like an assistant or whatever, they were looking for writers and I put myself forward and they liked my story. I'd never written <laughs> anything like that. And I wrote like three or four stories for them. I wrote a novella, an erotic novella for the same company. And even though they were commissioned, so they gave me this sort of outlines. Well, the parameters. That was the first time I'd ever had anything print, you know, in print. It was Waterstones, all that kind of thing. And from there, I, I set erotica to one side <laughs> <laughs> and uh, wrote my debut novel. So what was that process like from writing within a specific parameter to then having free reign to write your own novel? What was that jump like? And how did you feel when you, the first time you held your book in your hand? <laughs> I mean, it, it felt amazing. Still does. It still blows me away every time. You know, I've had the pleasure of having four of my own books published. And then obviously I had those stories before that. 
and it just feels magical. It's amazing. Um, it's quite daunting moving into my own my own world because it you know it's all on you. It's all on your own imagination, and you don't know. You just kind of have to trust that the story you're telling is important enough to you that other people will want to read it. It was freeing, but it was also kind of daunting. And I did take my time with sort of, I, at first I was just writing like little bits here and there while I was watching TV or whatever, <laughs> um, before I sort of made it more of a regimented, deliberate thing that I was doing. It was kind of like tentative at first. I didn't say the song. I didn't say the song that... <laughs> song was going to be Orange Moon, Orange Moon by Erica Badu. Oh, the song that inspired you to start writing is yes. Orange Moon. By yes. same feeling um, of reading Beloved. The warmth, the, um, it's inherently romantic, which um, Beloved has some of the most romantic lines I think I've ever read, um, with Paul D saying, um, she's a friend of my mind and she puts the pieces of me back in the right place. Oh. Um, so Orange Moon is so much about symbiosis, it's like the sun reflecting off the moon. And so that's why, yeah, that's why I went with Orange Moon, Erica Padu, which I also walked down the aisle to. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Paul D and uh, Sethe in Beloved, how odd yeah. the story is. <laughs> yes. Like I was saying earlier about If I Don't Have You, how this romance story is at the top think of it as an iceberg. story of Ren and Kayla are the very top of what you, the reader, are engaging with. But at the bottom of this iceberg are the, their careers, their families, their relationships, their allegiances, their friends, their partners, their career aspirations, their class, and also their immigration status yes. as well. Belonging, unbelonging, separation. You have all of this. If if I don't have you, it's romance first and everything else mm. secondary. Beloved is everything first oh, yeah. and the romance secondary mm. to you, the reader. Mm -hmm. You're thinking, ah, this book is about emancipation, yes. it's about slavery, mm. it's about this, it's about that. But, fam, yes. the love, mm -hmm. the love. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Tell me about it. That, I think that is part of what makes romance romance, is the, the vicarious feeling. It, that's what's so key to the experience of reading romance that is top-level romance versus any other type of story that might have a romantic through line. Because you want to engender that feeling in the reader that they are experiencing the emotions of the characters they are reading, which is why first person works so well. Um, you know, you, you, you could try, you can do third person romance, but it does, it does start to, um, feel, there's that distance feeling. Um, and I think, 
doing first person allows you, as you say, to really connect, to sort of dial into the feelings of the characters that you're reading about. That's why I do it. That's why I did it. In If I Don't Have You, I'm using the alternating perspective. So like one chapter is from Kayla's point of view, next chapter is from Ren's. And it just, yeah, it just lets you dial into their emotions, their feelings, um, the things they're trying to ignore. It just allows you to do that so much more clearly. Towards the end of If I Don't Have You, with a climax, when the relationship sort of climaxes, right? And come on, I'm using romance, I'm using the word climax to talk about a romance novel with steamy scenes. So please, um, listeners, um, it might be intentional, but I guarantee it was unintentional. (laughs) It was unintentional. It was unintentional. So the scene in which, the pivotal scene, Mm -hmm. there we go. (laughs) The pivotal scene in the book, um, where there is this sort of declaration Mm -hmm. between them. I I I want I want to ask you about that the gendered positioning or the uh, the word I had in mind was the genderfication mm. I know that's not a word mm. but if Shakespeare can invent <laughs> words so can I I know it's a man and it's white so I'm taking power <laughs> reclaiming power <laughs> <You know? laughs> so the genderfication mm. of romantic declaration mm. right and especially when you take the race element into consideration yeah that in this pivotal scene, Kayla is the one, I felt that Kayla was the one expressing her yes, feelings definitely. to Ren. And Ren was like, oh, okay. And mm-hmm. he's receiving it. And I'm just like, why are you doing this? Why is she the one telling you how she feels? Why can't you be the one to tell her how you feel? Why? Ugh. And especially when, <laughs> I know, and I'm not making all these things up. This is really literally how I respond to these things. <laughs> especially when she knows what she wants in life she's going after what she wants in life it's ambitious and a lot of times you know ambition is usually depicted as as something negative yeah in the genderfication i'm gonna make that a word yes in genderfication (laughs) (laughs) we're undoing the genderfication yes (laughs) (laughs) that's the point so so ambition is usually positioned as something negative you know so i i felt that that was a bit stereotypical that she is the one saying that have me you know your typical um you know romance novels like, have me i'm ready to be yours <laughs> why am i using telenovela voice i don't know <laughs> but, you know and then he's like oh yes she's ready for me now <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think um, usually in story, when I think of traditional romantic scenes, it's the guy comes to the woman and like tries to woo her or win her over or whatever. And so Kayla is much more active at the the climax of um, If I Don't Have You. (laughs) She is the one to go to Ren and sort of lay all her cards on the table. And then I guess in a lot of ways in their relationship, she's the more forthright and he's the more hesitant. And that was kind of a deliberate thing to kind of make him the more, maybe the more vulnerable kind of, well, I mean, both of them are vulnerable, but she's kind of got more of a sense of armor over her. And so, yeah, I think I kind of wanted her to also be the one to 
to make that effort to put her cards on the table and have him and hope that he will reciprocate. But yeah, I mean, her general forthright nature, her ambition, that was something that I was very keen to depict in the book. To have a character like that, that is, she's the woman, she's a black woman. She's in a difficult position in that she wants to remain in the States when she's not supposed to. So yeah, she has all these things she's fighting against. And so it's sort of only made sense that she also fights for love ultimately when she comes to her senses. Do you think that is falling into stereotypical depiction of black women in the sense that um, quite standoffish, you know, quite emotionally hardened? And when you take into consideration that this is an interracial relationship Mm -hmm. with Ren being uh, Brazilian, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so he's half African-American, half Brazilian. When you take race into consideration how black women are depicted in popular media and popular discourse, um, they're not vulnerable emotionally, the trope of the strong black, emotionally resilient black woman, Mm -hmm. right? I think that if she was in a relationship with um I, I know it's not technically an interracial relationship mm. but the fact that Ren in my opinion his Af- his Brazilian heritage to me maybe it's my reading but mm. it seemed more present in in the book dark-skinned black women British South American man okay dark-skinned light-skinned or dark-skinned yet emotionally unavailable hardened light-skinned yes softened vulnerable okay so the woman has to be broken down to make her ready for love, to make her pliable to be in a romantic relationship. Do you know what I mean? What would be your response to that sort of criticism of the depiction of Kayla and Ren's relationship? I'd say that she is, it's not that she's emotionally unavailable, it's that she's ambitious. Um, So she's not hardened, she's not been jaded by love and she's not sort of closed off to the idea of romance she just thinks that it's not for her and so her focus is on her ambition which is something that I I don't feel like I see a lot of black women depicted as in a positive way and particularly when it comes to being creative um, or artistic so I think that is more the sort of level at which I I feel like she's operating less so than sort of um, a stereotypical strong black woman. She's opinionated. Um, She's forthright with her opinions and she, but she also does have this vulnerability of feeling like I haven't found that sort of romantic love by the time she's, you know, in her mid to late twenties. And so she thinks that her, her focus is on her ambition. And I actually think that with Ren as a romantic hero, I guess people might call him beta. And that's the thing that, you know, he's not, he's not a dominant person. He's not, uh, which is what you would typically view as a romantic hero. The more sort of alpha feeling um, is often the case he's more in touch with his emotions, which I feel like I don't see a lot of black men or mixed race men being depicted as. So I actually would say that that is not something I come across a lot, which was kind of a deliberate thing on on my part. But in terms of the racial dynamic between the two of them, I mean, it was was very deliberate to make her a dark-skinned woman. And I do 
accept the sort of critique of him being light-skinned and you know different in that way you know not not quite on the same level but then they're also from completely different worlds in a lot of regards I mean she's British he's American their sort of um, dynamic is different in terms of their careers so that they are contradictory in a lot of senses so yeah I mean I, I could understand some of those critiques but I don't necessarily take them on board myself <laughs> I like that it's like now nah, think what <laughs> you want think what you can it's like Nini Leakes I said what I said exactly. I wrote what I wrote <laughs> you know um there is a great quote so um the Namibian writer Remy Ngamiji he has a great quote when asked the question about um you know critique of his work and he said that the writer's work is to write the readers bring their own interpretation into the work right so the readers are the ones who interpret what the writer does and it just you know and that's it because sometimes you write you write from a place of you know you write what you want to write and there are some writers who they are possessed by the characters this feeling of you know and you just let the characters come to life because you're a conduit for telling the story and the analysis is left to the person who's reading it and a lot of and you know and I recognize as a reader you're reading a lot of books and you're reading different stories and different different narratives you also bring your own life experiences into the book you the books you read as well it sounds to me from hearing you speak it sounds like if I don't with if I don't have you you have been quite deliberately subversive in writing another kind of romance novel another kind of representation of black women in love and other kind of reflection of an everyday black woman that is very visible to us but not visible to other people my favorite saying at the moment is you can't be what you don't see ren is not your typical mills and boons hero like oh with a throbbing chest yeah. you know? <laughs> with sweating torso yeah yeah <laughs> let's be honest there is some sort of snobbery when it comes to romance novel I spent my days, my, you know, A-level days and GCSE <laughs> days in my local library, just going through those mm-hmm. and booze. And then I discovered the black romance fiction. I was like, what? Black people have romance books? I want to start reading them, you know? <laughs> and then there is a feeling of, quote unquote, maturity. So when I went to uni and I started working, I was like, oh no, it's time to start reading highbrow kind of books, you know? Um, so are you able to recommend romance books for people who are interested in reading more books in this genre are you able to sort of recommend some of your faves um for people like me who may want to go back to romance novels and be like i want the throbbing heart not just throbbing hearts you know <laughs> because your book your book seems is to me your book reads like literary romance as opposed to just romance exactly and i think that that is that kind of goes back to what i was saying before about maybe moving out of the genre because it I do I, ha, I have had that um leveled against me <laughs> the very idea of like literary romance it's like it's kind of literary it's kind of romance and so the expectation for romance readers is probably more so the kind of story that you're describing the kind of the evening chest and all of that <laughs> whereas that's not my interest um, and I do love literary fiction. That is basically all I read. I actually don't really read a lot of romance at all. You know, it was it was after university and all of that that I came to even read any romance at all. And I used to do a blog 
which is still up there called um, The Palette Cleanser, which talked about reading romance in between reading literary books. But the issue that I did sort of come up against was reading romantic stories and thinking, this is all very nice, but I can't really relate to these characters. They're not, they're overwhelmingly white. And yeah, there are black, of course, there are black romance fiction writers. They tend to be American. And so I kind of started to get fatigued with it. And that is part of why I, wrote, I write the stories that I write in the way that I write them. Because that's the kind of romance I'd like to read. And you are definitely right that there is a dismissal when it comes to romantic fiction. People have their assumptions about what it should be or that it's, it lacks substance, that it is, you know, I think part of it is that it centers women, it centers women's emotions and feelings. It's often written by women. That could all be part of why it's dismissed. Overall, I think there is a sense that people don't expect romance to have any deeper level of um, interest beyond the actual, you know, romantic through line. There's a writer called Alyssa Cole who writes, she's a black um, American writer. Yeah, there's, writer, there's a, a writer called Talia Hibbert who's a black British writer who writes lovely romantic um, comedic fiction. Definitely recommend her. It, even within the Jacaranda 20 and 20, there's some great romantic stories. Uh, there's Bad Love by Marmé Blue, mm -hmm. wonderful book. Has so much more going on than just the romance, but um, I'd highly recommend that. Um, one of the books that's upcoming is called Simona's Still Single, about a woman in her late 30s trying to find love. That's part of the 20 and 20 by Lisa Bent. So there are books out there. Um, but it is odd that I don't necessarily actually turn to that much romantic fiction myself. Um, I kind of write it more than I read it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So I always, always 
throw curveballs to guests on the podcast because hey fam what's going on but this is not really a curveball for you I feel like I'm building it up and it's just like <laughs> this was it okay <laughs> you've mentioned that you read more literary fiction but you write romance and the question my mind is how does the literary fiction you read inspire the romance fiction that you write and the curveball question is recommend books literary fiction that have romantic underpinnings that you love Ooh, gosh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first question is how does the literary fiction that you read inform your romance writing how has it it could be in terms of craft it could be in terms of uh you know character arc character development whatever how does the literary fiction inform your romance um it informs it in term in terms of the um the sort of depth to which i like to go in um in romantic stories so kind of i guess you were talking about the sort of realism of literary fiction and I think that while, while romance is quite escapist and, you know, it can be like a fantasy, that's not necessarily my interest. I do quite like to ground things in at least some sense of reality and of the everyday strife and struggle that people would be going through alongside a romantic relationship. That's definitely an influence. And also, yeah, I mean, stylistically, although you know we talked about writing in first person and things like that I do find that I'm influenced by whatever book I you know if I'm reading something where you know like I read um Little Fires Everywhere I think when I was writing this or maybe it was something else but and then I was like oh the economy of this language this is what <laughs> I'm gonna do so um I definitely do get sort of um influenced by whatever I'm reading at the time but yeah, and then the second part of your question, I mean, <laughs> there's a young adult book that I absolutely love called The Sky is Everywhere by Jandy Nelson, um, which is kind of a literary YA. It's tackling a lot of different issues around grief. The, the central character loses her sister suddenly, and then she sort of enters a quite inappropriate romantic relationship with her sister's boyfriend and she another boy comes along so it's like a love triangle but it's very emotional that's one I love a lot of literary fiction deals with romantic relationships but in a difficult way mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so like um ordinary people by Diana Evans which is mm -hmm. incredible but I was just like Whew, I don't know what to do after this like it's talking about um it's talking about a lot of things that I'm very interested in and you know obviously black British characters but you know tackling the feeling of long-term romantic relationships wow it was it's a lot it's not necessarily a positive depiction put it that way the reason I asked that question is because I want to do a series on romantic books but I ended up doing depictions of women in romantic relationships instead. Right, yeah. Primarily because, you know, like you and I, kindred spirit, mm -hmm. hey, mm -hmm. reading almost exclusively literary fiction, uh -huh. you find that 
romance is not at the forefront but then and also the way they write romantic relationships are also it's not smooth sailing yeah they're always fraught mm-hmm. with difficulties mm-hmm. and these women they carry the oh, the emotional weight mm-hmm. and the emotional traumas mm-hmm. of these romantic entanglement our new favorite <laughs> words thanks to jada pinkett smith i i sort of wanted to have a conversation with you about representation of women without putting words in your mouth yeah. but you know sort of the weight of these relationships on women Mm -hmm. in literary fiction compared to romance you know a genre of romance Mm. what is your take on it what has been your experience on it have you I know it's like putting you on the spot but just if you're able to think widely about the literary fiction that you've read and the many different reflections experiences and representation of women in romantic relationships perhaps part of why I'm struggling (laughs) to immediately think of stories where women are depicted in romantic relationships in literary fiction is because that's not often the concern of the writer whereas in sort of more traditional romance I think that is what sets it apart and why it does attract such a large female readership is because it centres women in the centre of the story and also in the centre of their relationships. You're right that, I mean, if you do see a woman depicted in a romantic relationship in literary fiction, it tends to be because it is fraught, because they are tackling something that is difficult in some way. Whereas in romance fiction as a genre, while there are, you know, conflict is obviously the basis of it. You can't just um, have your two characters meet and then it's just a boring story about them moving in together and everything and they live happily ever after. You need those um, beats of conflict to come between them. But you do have that, you tend to have that sense of a happily ever after on the horizon or a happy for now at least. And that's the expectation that readers are coming to that genre. They have that in mind, just like in a crime novel, you'd expect a crime to happen or whatever, you know, and (laughs) a murder to be solved or something. And I think that that's the appeal of it. It's the repetition and the safety of that knowledge. Whereas in literary fiction, you are much freer to depict a relationship and whatever means you see fit. But you don't have that safety for the reader of knowing that Um, a romantic relationship will work out or that it will um, end in a particular way. Perhaps, I don't know if it's an odd perception to think that literary stories don't necessarily deal in positivity in the same way that a romantic story, um, you know, a story that is primarily about romance would, but perhaps literary writers reach for difficulty and conflict more emphatically than romance writers who are aiming for that happily ever after. So I'm sort of also, of course, completely drawing a blank as to (laughs) the stories that I've read recently. Yeah, I mean, when you think about books that have been successful recently, Queenie, Girl, Woman, Other, the romances in those stories are not always happy. It's to say the least. Because all the ones I'm thinking of the romance is I'm like fam yeah. the woman is suffering yeah. please let her exactly. rest please if, if there's a romance at all I think that's that's partly why I'm dancing on that um yeah that fence between 
wanting to depict romance and women within romance in kind of a positive way, but also loving that literary side of things that delves deeper into the nuances of what's happening with the characters. Mm. Literary romance. I like it. Yeah, put some respect in my name. (laughs) Exactly. Which stories are you thinking of when you're... When you were speaking, Mm. I just thought that maybe the reason why my sister, the serial killer, was so Mm. successful is because... That (laughs) is is about. Yes. <laughs> it centers a woman taking control over mm, romance. Exactly. That is so true. And also also the fact that then the one man that she sort of turns to, you've got the issue with her sister and her sister being like, no, 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 of, of all the men, yeah. please not this guy. I actually really yeah. like him. Yeah, that's true. The first book that came to my mind when I asked that question, because I was like, mm-hmm. literary fiction, romance, romance, was uh, Stay With Me by Ayobami uh-huh. Adebayo. Mm-hmm. I don't I know if you've read I it, haven't. but it's, uh, oh, fam. I want it's to. It's like your multi-perspectivity, okay. husband, wife, husband, wife, yes. husband, wife. Yeah. And there is obviously a problem. Mm-hmm. They can't have a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, set in Nigeria, where it's like, you've got to have a baby yeah, for yeah, your yeah. marriage to be recognised. Mm. And they're surmounting that problem. But the weight, I mean, the story is a beautiful love story. Mm. Fam, the suffering. <laughs> it's an addictive read. I guarantee you, you get that book front to back. You're reading it and your feelings, your feelings, get ready for your feelings to be felt. Uh, <laughs> um, so that's what I thought of. Then I also thought of um, The Secret Lives of Abasegi's Wives by Lola Shanayi, which is a young woman choosing to marry, go into polygamous relationship, because once again, you know, you're too, you're, you're old enough to be married, so right. go and get married. Right? The sufferings! <laughs> For example, like Behold the Dreamers, where that so they're in an established relationship already they're married of course i think she's closer to the idea of like somebody who knows what they want as a character but again they're in a relationship they're moving forward together but it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel romantic i know right Beyond is a really great example because you these married couple are separated. It deals with migration the same way if I don't have you deals with migration. Mm. They are in Cameroon yeah. and the husband migrates yeah. to America the same way your book is um, if I don't have these sets in America. They migrate to America. He migrates to America for want of the slice of the American pie. In Bola mm-hmm. Umbwe, the writer, she lets you, the reader, know that gender he loves his wife Nenny he loves her so much then he brings her over because he can't do without her right in a way I felt that in that book the romance is felt in the absence of the spouse so while she's away Mm -hmm. you get the sense that he loves her the palpable Mm -hmm. sense of love and romance and romance you know romance that oh I can't do without you but I do but I love you yeah the yearning the yearning feeling and then when she is in America it becomes transactional exactly yes and there's that idealized idea of what it would you know idealized idea but you know the idealization or whatever of what it will be to be partners to be in this relationship but then the reality of it is very different and, and that seems to be what runs through a lot of literary fiction is that you think it's going to be all romantic and nice, but let me tell you, it's actually going to be this. 
there's obviously a place for that and and it's real and it makes for a good story but i do also think there's a place for just the security of knowing that you're entering into a story where the romance mm -hmm, is at the center mm -hmm. and that while there may be trials and tribulations the end result will be that these people are okay like um i guess that's what draws me to it the conclusion i'm coming to from our conversation is that if literary fiction is the the parent you know imagine like a two a two-parent household right the parent who tells you it's like yo life is difficult out there man you've got to work hard there are monsters out there you fam you've got to fortify yourself for the world romance is like oh no actually yes life is hard but come man you know it's all it would all work out in the end it's all right it's okay notice the voice as well it's all right it's okay well it's really important to to have a balance like that and to particularly for for black readers to feel feel that sense you are loved you are worthy of love so i yeah i think that that that's something you know you you can read a story that's not about trauma it's about love it's about you be or your characters being embraced in the vein of varied stories for black readers by black writers recommend a book by black british writers for readers who want to read more books by black british writers um so the book i chose was the terrible by irsa daily ward which i mean it, it's not a light read i wouldn't say but it's um economical it's immersive she's obviously a poet so her use of language is incredible and it feels so inherently black british i mean it's kind of a um autobiography i guess but she's dealing with so many um aspects of life that i think are relevant to black british people being between two worlds um i think she's nigerian Ghanaian. i want to say and jamaican. yeah um no nigerian and jamaican. jamaican yeah how she comes to comes into her womanhood how she's dealing with her family her um relationship with her mother all those kinds of things and also talking about the creative process itself and um, i think at the end of the book she says something about there's six stages to writing something um, that really resonated with me yeah there's just something about that book that it, it's quite a quick read it's not very long but it's also there's so much going on in it but in the book she says um it takes six moments to write a thing one you dream two you wake up three you sit down four you settle on the chair bed floor five you think what is happening is this the day when nothing will come is this the end of it Six, then you grip your heart involuntarily and your soul comes up. Your soul comes up, I'm telling you. No such thing as a block, really. Your soul arises and you let it or you don't, which I just think is incredible. And as a writer, I think is so inspirational. Um, wow. And why would you recommend it for readers? I think it, it because particularly for, um, in terms of black British writing, she's, I think she's from the Northwest um, so it's a bit of an unusual perspective. It's not your usual like super London centric. I feel like a lot of um, narratives focus on London. So, although I think she moves to London at one point, but you know. But yeah, I think just her use of language, the um, 
it's quite accessible, but it's doing a lot with um, the economy of her, her words. I think that's why I'd recommend it. I think it's just great. Um, and the song? I actually... Curveball, curveball, curveball. It was difficult enough <laughs> thinking of them when I knew. <laughs> thinking of song. The terrible. I don't know, it would probably be something by like Little Sims. Just something about um, Little Sims as a black British woman telling her own story. I think Flowers by Little Sims. Feel the pain of his troubled history. They'll wipe his memories and tell him his past is a mystery. What is life without victory? Opinion on liberty, enlighten me. How to stay sane in a world so mental, world sick enough for voodoo child. Play. No, actually, I'm gonna change that. I think it'll be a Nena Cherry song. I'm gonna go with Man Child by Nena Cherry. From Monday down to Friday, you're working on another man's car. Why that song? Because of the narrative feeling that it has. She's telling a story that's about a man child, obviously, like a guy who he has all these expectations on him but doesn't quite get it together. And for some reason, that just came into my head as a song that has a similar feeling to the terrible where, because she's talking a lot about her brother and although he's an actual child, he's younger than her, there's just something about the feeling of man child it feels very british even though nena cherry is i think she's like scandinavian and i know her dad was sierra leonean i want to say that multicultural feeling and but also having an inherent british feeling the production of it so for some reason that just brings me to mind of the terrible i don't know why <laughs> i want to sort of end this conversation with a song mm -hmm. so if, if i don't have you it's a book that is pleasant to read <laughs> and it's a romance book it takes you to a nice place a song that takes people to a happy place um to end this conversation seeing as we're talking about romance and escapism mm. <laughs> well for some reason the, the song that comes to mind is and i know some people maybe don't love it but it's solange things i imagined I think it's the opening song of her latest album. I saw things I imagined. I saw things I imagined. I saw things. It's like a mantra almost, and I find it very, you know, she's saying, I saw things I imagined, and she repeats it over and over again. And that speaks to, to that sense of creativity of ambition it's quite dreamlike it's kind of romantic like imagining could mean imagining a romance it could be mean imagining an ambition so yeah i'm gonna go with things i imagined by solange if people want to find out more about you find out more about your work or if they're just like oh fam i really enjoy this conversation i want to get in touch and find out more just Netta with you more about if I don't have you and your forthcoming books and the previous book that you published how and where can they get in touch with you simple just at Sarita Domingo s-a-r-e-e-t-a-d-o-m-i-n-g-o my website is saritadomingo.com I'm on Instagram Sarita Domingo author but yeah those are the ways um hit me up I'd love to hear from you. Sarita thank you so so thank much for your you. time I've had thank a great you. time thank you very much <laughs> really appreciate you <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Books and Rhymes, a podcast. Listen to the playlist of songs curated by Sarita via links in the show note. Get in touch with us via email at booksandrhymes at gmail.com. Tag us with your thoughts on this episode on Twitter and Instagram at Books and Rhymes. Subscribe, rate and review Books and Rhymes, the podcast on Apple Podcasts and all your favourite podcast listening platforms. Thank you so much and have a fantastic week. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.